Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter two, and we're continuing our, our series uh, in our Christmas in Idaho series. And I, I wanna do something that I, I have used when I speak at church conferences or, or conferences for pastors, and, and I, it's gonna require your help. And so we're gonna show uh, a logo, a picture on the screen here in just a second, and I want you to tell me what this organization is known for. So let's, let's try this out first. First picture. <laughs> Call it out. Here we go. One, two, three. Okay. Uh, let's be specific. God's chicken. Anyway, uh, uh, ne- next, next picture. Yeah, airlines flying. Next picture. Oh, football. Now, let me call. Hold on a second. Boise State University. But I knew you were going to say football. I know, I know. Bluefield. We didn't show up yesterday. Anyway, uh, here we go. Furniture. Can we just say cheap furniture? Complex instructions, putting things together. Yes. All right. Okay, next picture. Santa Claus. You know, we, we know exactly what this is. Okay, here we go. I need you up on the next picture. Well, it says the church for crying out loud. What's it known for? Uh, we just spoke in unknown tongues. I'm telling you right now, I'm hearing all kinds of things. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting. We go through, we show a logo, Chick-fil-A, we know it's chicken. Southwest, we know it's flying. We know, even know Santa Claus is, you know, it's about Christmas presents, whatever. We show up to church. We all have different ideas of what, the church is known for. I like to do this with other pastors, but I thought I'd do it with us today because I think it's very important for us to understand who we're called to be, to understand why the church is established, to understand why, what we even celebrate this time of year, what it has to do with this. Because while there's a lot of great programs that a church could be known for, while there should be incredible things that we do and not just being an organization in our city, but a church, a people that are for our city and doing outreach, while there are all of these different things that you can get plugged in to, I'm gonna propose that if the church is not primarily known for its witness, specifically for its witness proclamation and declaration of the gospel, we've actually stopped being a church. We're an organization, but we're not a church. Because here's the deal. If Chick-fil-A starts making hamburgers and stops selling chicken, they're no longer Chick-fil-A, hamburger filet or whatever. I don't know what you call it. If Southwest opens a furniture store and stops flying people from point A to point B, they're no longer Southwest Airlines. If Boise State puts in a green football... No, anyway, that has nothing to do with it. But no, here's my point. If the church gets away from what Jesus specifically told us in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he said, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them all that I've, I've taught you. Listen, if we get away... And we're known for all these other things, but we're not known for the gospel. Guys, we might be a church in name, but we're not a church in actuality. Now, 
what is the gospel? And what does, what does this whole thing that I'm gonna talk about today have to do with the gospel? Well, the gospel, if I can sum it up, it's actually, it's actually pretty simple. It's just literally good news. Good news that, that Jesus came to, to save people from the penalty of their sins. This whole thing, I'm not gonna get into it. Genesis chapter three, if you wanna study this, is, you know, the, the, the fall, Adam and Eve, you know, they, they had this rebellion. You read through and it's like, is they, man, what they did, it's not that big of a deal, right? Well, that's kind of at the root of all sins. Like, it's not that big of a deal, Right really what's at the heart of sin is just the fact that, that there's this rebellion against God. And there's, there's, there's a price to pay for rebellion against God. Like, like we find out in Genesis 3 that there's a price to pay. The apostle Paul makes it very clear in Romans 6.23 when he says the wages of sin is... Okay, so if this is, if this is the reality, what do, we, what do we mean when we say that, that we are saved? Well, we're saved from this penalty. We're saved from our sins, but we're also saved from the penalty of our sins. But here's the great thing. We're also given the Holy Spirit that, that there's something different. We're changed. We're not who we used to be. We're, we're transformed where we can actually enjoy freedom and victory here. Do you believe that? That we can actually enjoy victory? Oh, that was weak. I'm gonna tell you right now, get me a new crowd. Do you believe that we can have victory through Jesus Christ? Dude, this is our message. This is it. Like, cause I'm gonna tell you right now, if we don't have a message of hope, we don't have a message. Like we don't have a message, but we have a message that, that he is in Christ. He's a, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Does that mean we're gonna live perfect lives? No, but he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it at the day of Christ because Jesus is coming back. This is this whole thing that we call the gospel. It's something that we bear witness to. It literally is at the heart of who the church is is. But I would also argue that at the very beginning of, of, of Jesus' life, as we see here in Luke 2, we've been in Luke 1, Luke 2, we, we see witness being at the heart of this Christmas story. And I'm not going to totally re-preach all that Pastor Matt hit. He did such an awesome job last week as he jumped into Luke chapter 2, but I'm going to pick up partway through the, what he hit in verse eight, this is after Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem, you know, Jesus is born. And we, we, we read this in, in verse eight. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, which keep your Bibles open real quick. Uh, I mean, we have a good opinion of shepherds. Like, you know, we're talking out in the corridor and I'm like, hey, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a shepherd. I'm like, oh, cool. I mean, cause like, like Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, that's, that's good. Uh, you know, shepherds found all through scripture. And so, I mean, to me, like, if you tell me you're a shepherd, I'm like, dude, you're the cowboys of the sheep world. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm all for that. But that's not the case in, in Jewish culture. In fact, the, the shepherds are, are, are considered to, to be un, unworthy of, because of their work with uh, you know, these animals of being able to come in the temple or synagogue, they're, they're on the outside looking in, which is so interesting because uh, they're taking care of the sheep that are gonna be sacrificed in the temple. And yet they as shepherds aren't allowed into the temple. Like it's, it's, it's so bad that the Mishnah, which is this collection of, of Jewish rabbinical writings, they, they say, fathers, do not let, allow your sons to be shepherds because theirs is the trade of thieves. I mean, it's, Okay, so this whole thing, we, we read verse eight, this is, this is crazy, but yet God comes to them first. And so we read verse nine, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them 
And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. I mean, this is standard for Luke 1, Luke 2. Fear, you see an angel, you fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I want you to catch this. Like we read this and we take it very general. For unto you, all of you people, I want you to hear who's receiving this message. When he says, first and foremost, for unto you, he's talking to shepherds, unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and you know, like we, we get to verse 12 and I think we just run over this. Pastor Matt asked last week, you know, how many, how many people, he asked how many people, you know, had to memorize Luke 2 when they were kids. I did. And I was like, the first time I ever remember being on a platform at a church, my parents had made me memorize uh, Luke 2. And so they were gonna show me off or whatever. And so I, in the Christmas Eve service, I'm standing up as a three-year-old. And I remember, you know, I just looked and I just saw all these people and I'm like, dude, I'm overwhelmed. And, and my dad's like, go ahead, say it. And I just literally turned, buried my face in his leg and cried, never said a word. That was my first experience of being on a platform. My, how the times have changed. Anyway, uh, but no, you know, we, we read through this, we memorize this, we just blow through this. We don't even think about this. But why, why did they say, for this shall be a sign to you? Why did the shepherds need a sign? I'll tell you why the shepherds needed a sign. Because there is no stinking way, as we're gonna read in just a few verses, that they're actually going to go looking for this person they're being told about unless they have a sign because shepherds don't go to places they're not welcome. Shepherds show up in a temple, they're kicked out. Shepherds show up to Herod's palace, which Bethlehem is literally in the, in the shadow of, of, of Jerusalem, of, of Herod's palace. They, they show up in royal places, they're kicked out. Why do they need a sign? Because they need to know that they're, they're gonna be accepted when they show up. What's the sign? You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Jesus shows up, not, not by accident. By the way, let's just stop throwing shade at the innkeeper, this invisible anonymous innkeeper that is the bad guy of every Christmas drama that I've ever seen. Dude, like he gave them a place. We don't understand that literally in this tiny village, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming in. He found a place for them. I like the guy, I'm for the guy. He, he, they got shelter. And by the way, I was looking at our, the, you know, our little thing that we built out there. Honestly, I think their stable's maybe a little bit better than our stable out there. I mean, they, like, they had shelter, but it was no accident that the baby, the Christ, shows up in a manger. That was God. Don't blame it on the innkeeper. That was all God, because it was a sign. It was a sign to shepherds. It's like, hey, you show up here, you're gonna, you're gonna show up a place. Now that's not gonna be a palace. It's not gonna be the temple. It's gonna be an ordinary, ordinary place like you. He's in a manger. You're familiar with mangers. And so, you know, they're processing this. God's light show isn't over. We keep reading verse 13. Suddenly, there's with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, I like this. The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Huh, it was just like they had been told. Verse 17, when they saw it, 
They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, we looked at her a couple weeks ago. Angels showed up to her, told her what was to come. What, what about Mary? Like, like when, when, she, when they come bursting through you, like she probably just got Jesus down to sleep. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, hey, we have this light show. What's going on? You know, she hears this. What's it say? What, what does she do? Like, these words matter to her. It's just confirmation on what the angel told her in Luke 1. She treasured up all these things, pondering, pondering them in her heart. And what we read is that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Now, here's what I want to talk about. What's this have to do with the whole thing? What should the church be known for? The shepherds are actually the first evangelist that we read after Jesus shows up. Common ordinary people go out and they cannot help but talk about what they've seen. And the reason why this ties to what I, what I said here at the very beginning, what should the church be known for? I think we as Christians should understand that we're shepherds. All of us have a past. All of us, like when God showed up, like we, we have a past. We, there's nobody in here that says, oh no, not with me. I lived a perfect life and God saved me from nothing. No, like, no, we've, we've been saved. We're shepherds. And if, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this big point because I'm, I'm gonna keep coming back to this idea throughout the message. God uses shepherds more than he uses angels to tell the good news. God uses people, God uses the church. God uses shepherds more often than angels to share the good news. But here's the deal, when every Christian, as I was reading this this week, I thought about this, every Christian will take a journey similar to that of a shepherd to getting to this point. Think about it. What, what, where, where did the journey start for these shepherds? The shepherds never would have gone looking for God if God hadn't come to them. Listen, for all of us, the journey begins at Revelation. God revealed there was a savior and every story with Jesus begins with a revelation. And I'm gonna tell you that normally when we get this revelation, there's a savior, the revelation does not come when we're at our best. Many times that revelation comes when we're at our worst. We're faced with the impossibility of, of moving forward, of being good or, or being free or forgiven or, or feeling like we have a hope and a future. And yet that's when Jesus shows up and we have this revelation. But can I tell you, just because God in his faithfulness has made a revelation to you that there is a savior, that's not where the journey is. Because there's one of two ways that you're gonna respond to this. You're either going to embrace the truth that there is a savior or you're gonna reject this, this idea that there is a savior. You're either gonna run toward or you're gonna run away. And so this journey for them started with revelation, but then it moved towards faith. It moved to faith. And I think a lot of times when we think of faith, our, sometimes our definition of faith is lacking. Faith is not just something we know or something that, oh yeah, I believe that. I believe that. No, it's, it's more than that. In fact, next month, as we get into January, we're gonna be exploring this tension that we see between uh, Paul and Romans teaching of, uh, you know, that, that you know, we are saved, we're justified by faith alone. 
And then with what we see in James where he talks about faith without works is dead. When I talk about attention, there's honestly, there really isn't attention. It's just, we're gonna look and explore both sides of this. Because faith is not just knowing something. You gotta move from knowledge to conviction where it's not just something I've heard and I know it's something I believe for myself. I, I believe, I'm convinced this is for me. But I'm gonna tell you, it's not faith until there's action. You know what I'm saying? I'll give you a perfect example of this. Several years ago, uh, some good friends and my wife helped me check something off my bucket list. When I was a kid growing up in Indiana, uh, many times on either Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons, my dad and I would head over to the airfield and we would watch people skydive, jump out of planes. I always wanted to do that. And so they surprised me one day, got me over to, to Caldwell. And uh, here's what happened. Just show the picture, guys. Right there, I'm gonna tell you. Actually, you know what? I'm just thinking about this right here in this moment. I don't know whether or not they did this to surprise me. Lori did tell me I'm worth more to her dead than I am alive. So I don't know, that might be, no, I'm teasing. But no, okay, so, so when I go skydiving, uh, you know, the first thing to do, you go in there and they, have, they, they make you watch this video on skydiving, watch what to do. You know, like they say, you know, when you, when you jump out, don't look straight down and, and hold, your, hold your breath because they said you will black out and you will miss all the fun. They said, you know, when you jump out, look straight at the horizon, even yell a little bit, get, you know, get out of your system. So I yelled like never, that's me yelling right there. I'm all in, man, I'm yelling. But the, the next thing they did, they brought in the person that had actually packed my parachute. And they, 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 they told me wh- how they pack the parachute, why they do it the, the way they do, and, and what to expect when, when, I, when, you know, when I pull the, the, the ripcord. And, and so I was jumping tandem. So I'm like, dude, this guy's got me if I screw something up. You know, we're going to be good. Um, but, but here's the thing. They give me all this knowledge. But, but then they asked me, are you ready to go? Now, at that point, I'm... I can say, well, you know, I need a little more knowledge about what you're going to do. But no, I, I literally had moved from knowledge to conviction. I was self-convinced, like, yeah, I'm convinced. This is good. I, I can do this. And so we walk out, we walk across, jump in the little plane, and we take off, and we're, you know, just circling, circling, going higher and higher. And, uh, and we get to the place where they had, uh, I was jumping tandem, so the guy had attached himself to the back. And so I was, I was actually on my knees with my legs behind me. It, it took it took a while to climb and my leg got a cramp. And so we get to the place and he's like, he's like, okay, you got to jump out and you got to, we got to do this. And I tried to move my leg and I said, my leg is dead. You got to kick my leg. So he kicks my leg. He enjoyed it a little too much, but uh, so, so they had the door open and, and, and so there was a step on top of the wheel and he said, you got, he said, come on, man. He said, it's, it's make it or break it. He said, you got, you got to step out and just throw yourself out. And that's where it moves past just knowledge and conviction to, are we going to do this? And there are people that say, why in the world would a person throw themselves out of a perfectly good plane and go skydiving? Well, first of all, it wasn't a perfectly good plane. I think I was more nervous in the plane than I was jumping out. But I had watched, I had listened, I believed. And so I put my foot on that step and we jumped out. It was one of the greatest experiences in my life. But here's the, here's the reality. Faith does not stop with me watching the video. Faith doesn't stop with me having a conversation with a guy that packed my parachute. 
Faith has everything to do with knowledge, conviction, and action. And I'm gonna just throw this out there for what it's worth, okay? You file this away, because I don't know your story, but I think there are far too many people that have stopped short at either knowledge or conviction, and they haven't gone on to action. You see, the shepherds did not stop short at revelation at having a light show and saying, man, can you believe this? This is amazing. They literally said, let's go to Bethlehem and see what God has made known to us. They acted. And when they showed up, I love, I love you know, you know what it says that, that when, they, when they showed up, that they, uh, that they, they saw the baby lying in a manger, it was exactly like it had been proclaimed to them. Their faith was rewarded. And so what did they do in response? Well, it's the journey of every Christian. We don't stop short at just revelation or belief. Literally, they left and told everybody they could about what they had seen. You see, inevitably, your faith is not meant to be put on a shelf. Fat girls just got baptized. I love this. But here's the deal. Your faith wasn't meant to stop right back there in that water. Your faith is meant to be proclaimed and lived. Where, where people can see there's something different. They witnessed to what they had seen. They talked about what they had believed, seen, and experienced. And at the heart of the Christmas message is this. Jesus has come. Jesus came to save. Jesus has saved. And I've got to share this. You know, Jesus gives us a lot of reasons why he came. In fact, if you keep reading through Luke, uh, you'll get to chapter four. Chapter four, he's, he's in one of his own, a familiar synagogue with his own people in Nazareth. They asked him to speak and he gets up, he takes a scroll, he reads the words uh, that were to be read that day from Isaiah. And then he sat down and the words from Isaiah that he read had everything to do with the Messiah. And after he had read those words, he said, I've come to fulfill these words. And literally what I love about this is this is the message. This is what we talk about. You see, Jesus came. And you can write this down, write this down in your notes, Luke 4, 18 through 19. Jesus came, because you'll see this little outline here. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Maybe your, your uh, translation of the Bible, to, to heal the poor in spirit. And guys, I don't know who I'm preaching to today in terms of, I don't know all of the stories in your life. I know faces, I know names, like we can talk, but there are times that I'll say, how are you doing? And you'll say, fine, but you're kind of lying to me because there's stuff that's going on. I don't know your story, but I'll guarantee you that, the, that, that there's somebody here today that you know what it means to have a broken heart, probably several of you. Maybe your heart's been broken because your marriage fell apart. Maybe your heart's been broken. You, you were dating and, and, and your boyfriend or girlfriend, they, they, they've broken up with you and you feel that devastation, that hurt, that woundedness. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you are, you're, you know, your parents have disappointed you or maybe your kids have let you down. Something has happened in life that has broken your spirit and you're wondering what you can do. Here's what Jesus says. I have come to heal the brokenhearted. 
And I don't know where you're at or what you're facing, but what I love about Jesus and the names of Christ that we see in the Christmas story, though we haven't studied through Matthew 1, when the angel shows up to Joseph, he says, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The choir just sang it. It means God with us. And so I can tell you this, he came to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to be with you. How many of you, let's just go ahead and do a witness today, okay? How many of you have found that Jesus really can heal the brokenhearted? Would you put your hands in the air? Can we celebrate the fact that Jesus comes to heal the brokenhearted? This is what he does. But what I love is that he doesn't stay there. It's not that he just heals the brokenhearted. He also says that he comes to bring deliverance to the captives. You see, Scripture teaches that prior to us being set free by Christ to salvation, we are being held captive, held captive by the devil. The irony of this is that we think we're free. I'm free to live how I want to live. I'm free to say what I want to say. I'm free to do my own thing, to make my own decisions, to go my own way. But the reality is this, we're in a spiritual prison, something we don't understand until we're released from this spiritual prison. Jesus has come to free you from that spiritual bondage. And can I tell you that he also has the ability to break chains of addiction. He has the ability to break habits. He has the ability to set you free. Does it always look the same way? Some, it's gonna happen instantly. Some, you're gonna understand that he has, he's gonna start a good work and he's gonna finish the day of Christ. But Jesus Christ has come to set you free. How many of you have experienced that freedom in, in your own life? Can we just give God praise for the fact that he comes to set the captive free, but oh, there's more. I feel like I'm a commercial salesman, you know, like, oh, one more thing, there's more. He also said that I have come to bring sight to the blind. And it's only Jesus that can open a person's eyes so they see their true spiritual need. In fact, the word says that the God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. And there are those of us, you remember before your eyes were open, what Paul, we get what Paul says where he says, the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Dude, it was foolishness when you heard it from your parents. It was foolishness when you heard it from your kids. It was foolishness when you heard it from a coworker. It was foolish, foolishness when you heard it from a classmate. It was foolishness. It's like, stop with the foolishness. But one day, for me, it was at the age of 23, running around, driving around Cincinnati, where all of a sudden my eyes were open and I saw what Christ could do. It was foolishness until it wasn't foolishness. It became my only hope. He came to bring sight to the blind. How many of you are thankful that he brought sight to your blind eye someday? Can we give God praise this morning? But there's more. John 10, 10, Jesus said, there's a thief that's come to steal, kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have that life abundantly. He comes to give life in its fullness. I have found that Jesus truly satisfies. Now, now listen. I am not a rich man when it comes to material things. I was talking to somebody this week. We were joking about the fact if somebody robs my house, like they're not getting much. Like honestly, if somebody breaks in my house, they're probably coming for me. They're gonna try to kill me because there's nothing there. Really, you're not gonna find much. And I, I, I'm not saying that. I, we, I'm just not... 
you, you get it. We're, we don't have everything that this world can offer. But dude, what, I've, what I've found is what I used to think brought satisfaction, you get more and you find that you just need more. You get more, you want more. Get more, you want more. But I, I'm finally starting to get what Jesus meant when he said to the woman at the well in John chapter four, are you drinking this water? It's living water. You will never thirst again. Literally. You, come here. You want this? I can fully satisfy. Does that mean that he's gonna give you perfect circumstances where you, know, you, have, you, you have all the money in the bank you need to pay all your bills or, or your kids are always perfect and you've got the little bumper sticker that says, my eighth grader is an honor roll student or whatever? No, there are gonna be days where you, honestly, your bumper sticker is like, I hate your kids because my kids are failing. Like, like not really, <laughs> don't, don't, don't buy that bumper sticker. <laughs> Pastor Keith said to, no, I'm not like I don't. But no, we go through circumstances. We go through times that, that are painful. We, 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 face, we face pain and we face disappointment and we face, you know, we're, we're praying for Daniel Becerra, our, our brother that started North Star Community. It was an elder here. And this has been a traumatic week, almost lost his life, but yet God is moving his life. But we go to pray with him yesterday. Did he so fired up about what God's doing? I love it. It's not like his, his satisfaction doesn't come from circumstances. It's that he's drank from living water. Jesus came so that we could be fully satisfied. But there's more. Jesus came to die for our sin, Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In, in other words, what that means is there's a price that had to be paid. And we talked about this. We couldn't pay it, but Jesus paid the ransom. We're free. He came to die for our sins. And, and, and then the last thing I would say is this, Jesus came to save lost people. If you keep reading through Luke, you get to chapter 19. It talks about him going through this town and as a short little dude that, man, you think shepherds are bad. This guy is at the bottom of the, of the heap uh, in terms of uh, respect and honor. He's not respect and honor. His name's Zac uh, Zacchaeus. And he is a tax collector. And so he, he's, he's a Jewish guy that, that is partnering with the Romans, all right? So, so this would be like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to think a, a good way to, well, I can't think of an analogy, so I'll, I'll just say this. He's despised because he's taxing his own people to give money to the Romans, but he gets to keep, he gets to, to, to keep part of what he's collecting. And so he gets to set the standard. He gives Rome their part. He gets to take whatever his part is. So he's literally stealing from his people and they, they can't do anything about it. Not a real popular guy. But this guy hears Jesus coming. He wants to see this guy. So he climbs up in a tree and he gets more than the opportunity to see Jesus. He literally gets to experience this encounter with God where Jesus looks up and says, hey, uh, why don't you come down from the tree because I'm going to your house for a meal. And like, uh, I didn't prepare anything, you know? No, he, he takes him, he open up, opens up and, and, and he just begins telling Jesus all that he did. But then he repents and he says, man, I'm, I'm gonna make right all I've done. I'm gonna restore uh, multiple times what, what I've done. And, and Jesus talks about how salvation has come to this household. But then he goes on to say this in Luke 19, 10. He said, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. This is why Jesus came. 
This is why Jesus showed up. And you see, man, it's not just that we've had this revelation. It's not just that we've moved to faith and, and, and had this personal encounter with God. It always moves to witness. We, man, we're, we're gonna, every single day, you're encountering people in your family or people that you work with or people you, you run into at Walmart or whatever. You are, you are meeting people who need to hear why Jesus showed up. But I, I, I gotta say something. There's a lot of times that, that we kind of hold back from witnessing because we think that the weight of their conversion is on us. It's not, no. It, it, we're not called to be the ones that convert. Only God can do that. We witness. Which means, if you're like, well, you know, I'm just scared because I'm gonna say something wrong and I'm gonna screw it up and, you know, I'm probably gonna go to hell if it's all me. No, it's not. Literally, it's not on you. You just share what you know. And you're like, well, I don't know enough. Well, I'm not sure that the shepherds knew everything. The shepherds just, went, just went, went away talking about what they knew, what they'd seen, what they experienced. And you know what? Everybody's afraid that if, if they witness for Christ, they're gonna be asked a question they can't answer. I'll tell you right now, you're probably going to be asked a question you can't answer. You know one of the greatest things that you can do is to say, that's actually a great question. And could, could we meet next week? Let's, let's do some digging together. Wow, that's, that's amazing. But at the end of the day, you, you won't convert them only, and you won't convert them at all, but even convincing, logic, having philosophical discussions, I mean, we want to do our best to persuade, but at the end of the day, the one thing that people can't argue with is a story. It's like John 9, the guy came, hey, what happened to you? The guy healed by Jesus. Like, ah, I don't know, I, no, well, who's the guy that healed? I don't know. I just know I was blind, but now I see. And like, like nobody can argue with a changed life. Nobody argues with a changed life. You see, like it begins with revelation, moves to faith, moves to witness. I, I, uh, I, I was talking to uh, a guy, Ro Dudley's at our sermon prep meeting. And if you know Ro, Ro teaches a lot of our evangelism classes and all that. Uh, I love Ro. He's, he's messed up, but I love Ro. He's crazy. He's such a good guy. But he's telling me about, he, he owns a supplement, a nutritional supplement store here in town. And uh, the guy just has shared the gospel with more people <laughs> through his story about anybody I know. But he had a guy come in not too long ago. Uh, well, I say not too long ago. It's been a little while. And uh, they, they started talking and uh, I don't even know how, how it got on, but they started talking about uh, Christ and the relationship with Christ. And the guy was like, well, I went to church one time and I received Christ into my life, so I think I'm good. He said, but then, he said, I've been studying. He said, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jesus doesn't really exist. And so Roe wasn't trying to be a jury. He was just like, well, why would you receive and say you're good with confidence if the guy didn't even exist? He goes, well, you know, and they started having this argument kind of back and forth. And Roe's like, like, I didn't want to make him mad or anything. He said, I was just trying to Talk, talk with this, but uh, he, he said, he just kept on arguing, well, you can't know, you can't know that, that Jesus is real. And so, you know, you can't say this. And so while he was talking, Roth went over, he has a fridge and he grabbed an energy drink and, and opened it and just, just guzzled it, just knocked it back. And he puts it down, he looks over the guy, he's like, man, how'd that taste? And the guy was in the middle of making his argument and he looks at him like, what are you talking about? He goes, how'd that, how'd that energy drink taste? And the guy's like, he got kind of ticked. He's like, what are you talking about? He goes, you drank it, not me. And Rose's like, exactly. He says, says, word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He said, you, you can't know he's real if you've never experienced it. He said, I can tell you from a changed life that, that he is real. He said, all I've got, if I had nothing but my testimony, that's, that's what I would tell you. 
And you know, the way the story should end was that the guy was just overcome with emotion, knelt and gave his life to Jesus Christ. That's not what happened. Rose said he left, he gave him a one-star review on Google, but hey, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> At the end of the day though, it's just, it's, it's this witness. You can't argue, man, with a changed life and the shepherds, man, were, were transformed and they could not help but witness about this. But what I love in verse 20 is it says that they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I like that, the shepherds return. Where did they return to? Where did they return to? Where, they returned to the same old field, same old sheep, same old job. But they returned with a new perspective. You see, Revelation leading to faith, this witness we can't help but talk about, man, it literally creates a brand new perspective, gratitude. It literally changes the way we live. If we've experienced Christ, we're never the same. And so my big question as we close today is this, what if, what if every Christian grasped that we were shepherds? What if every Christian, when they saw the picture with the words, the church showing up, their first response was, man, to love, to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to share the gospel. Because by the way, the gospel is not only declared and spoken, the gospel is lived. What if the gospel was the heart of our message? How would that change our world? How would that change our families? How would that change our church? How would that change our city? What I like is that the angel said, this good news is for all, not some of the people. It said it's for all the people. It's not just for the people who already believe. It's the good news for the skeptic. It's the good news for the addict. It's the good news for the depressed. It's the good news for the lonely. It's the good news for those who've experienced uh, church abuse and church hurt. It's the good news for, for people that are in circumstances, they, they, they just seem hopeless. The good news is for all the people. The good news is for you. It's for every person you love, every person you're ever gonna come in contact with. What if? You and I grasped, we're shepherds. What if you and I believed that God uses shepherds, not angels, to share the good news? It would change us. It would change those who we come into contact with. And so God, as we leave here today, I thank you that you didn't show up first to the rich, powerful, people that have everything together, people that, you know, could just pat themselves on the back for how well they were living their lives. No, what you did is you showed up to Zachariah and Elizabeth. We looked at Luke 1, who were going through a crazy season of disappointment. You showed up to marry a little teenage girl that couldn't have even begun to believe that she would be the mother of the Messiah. Now you show up to shepherds, guys who are outsiders, who have a past, who are considered unclean. But God, every one of us here that have have been saved from our sins, can say, thank God you showed up for us too. We were all shepherds. And God, I wanna thank you for what you've done in saving us and changing us. But God, may we not stop short at rejoicing over a person of salvation. May we understand the mission that we've been given to share the good news that Jesus saves with every single person, regardless of creed, 
color, background. It does not matter the sin, the hopelessness, the situation. God, you're gonna use shepherds to share the good news. May we go and be shepherds. Thank you for what you're gonna do to fire up your church. And God, may this, this Christmas season not just be a chance for us to give and to receive presents. God, may it be an opportunity for us to give and speak and live the good news. And may it change us and the people we come in contact with. Thank you for what you're gonna do. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. See you next Sunday for our Christmas Eve services.